Let's open our Bibles together to Psalm 149. Psalm 149. The second to last of the Hallelujah Psalms that we've been working our way through, the last five Psalms in the book of Psalms, 146 through 150. These Psalms are really teaching us to do what we've been made to do and redeemed to do as the people of God. And that is to praise the Lord, to praise God with our lips and with our lives. And the Psalm for this evening, Psalm 149, focuses on two things, delighting and fighting. Delighting in God and fighting God's enemies. That is how we praise him. We praise him by delighting in him more than anyone or anything else in this world. That brings him praise. And we praise him by fighting against his enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The first five verses are about delighting in God, and then verses six through nine are about fighting God's enemies. And we'll look at each of those in turn and see what we can learn about praising God by delighting and fighting. Let's pray together, and then we'll begin. God, we thank you for giving us this psalm and we pray now that you would open our eyes so that we can see the truths that you've revealed to us in it. We want to delight in you, but our hearts are often cold and dull, we admit. And we want to fight against your enemies, but sometimes if we're honest, we actually delight in your enemies and fight against you. So would you change our hearts and use this psalm to equip us to delight in you, our God, and to fight your enemies. All to your praise. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Psalm 149, this is God's word given to us through the psalmist. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory, let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Let's begin with point one, delight in God, which is the focus again of verses one through five. And there are four exhortations in this part of the psalm about delighting in God. And the first we'll call sing a new song. Sing a new song. That's number one if you're taking notes. Look again at verse one. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly 
of the godly. To sing a new song can either mean that the song is new or that the singer, in a sense, is new. Singing an old song but with new joy, new understanding, new thankfulness, new delight. And of course, that's how we want to sing to the Lord here in corporate worship, isn't it? Even if we're singing a song we already know and we've already sung many times, we can sing it to the Lord as a new song because if you think about it, we're actually not the same person we were when we last sung it. We are different. Our circumstances are different. The things we bring to the song, as it were, are different. For example, we may have some new trial we're going through and and singing together, great is thy faithfulness, gives us new strength and encouragement to lean into the Lord in the midst of that trial. Or maybe God has brought us through a trial already and we sing about his faithfulness and mercy and love with that in mind. So the song isn't new, but the singer is new. Kind of like if you go to the beach or to the mountains each year for family vacation. The beach is the same. It hasn't changed. The mountain is the same. But you are not the same, right? Your kids are not the same. Each vacation is new, even though the location is not new. So in corporate worship, even though the song may not be new, the singing of the song can be new each time. The singer can be new by God's grace. Every song can be a new song in that sense. So let's make every song a new song to the Lord. Notice at the end of the verse, he refers to the assembly of the godly. We should note that that is who we are by God's grace. We are the assembly of the godly. We are not the assembly of the worldly, We are the assembly of the godly. We are the assembly of the imperfectly godly and sometimes worldly, to be sure. But fundamentally, because of the work of Christ, we are now the assembly of the godly. And we assemble to sing to the Lord a new song. Of course, in order to sing in the assembly of the godly, you have to be in the assembly of the godly. So just a reminder to all of us to do everything we can to get here on the Lord's Day, morning and evening, unless we're providentially hindered from getting here, which we are at times, so that we can add our voice to the corporate choir in the assembly of the godly, so that we can do what this verse is saying to do, to sing to the Lord a new song together and so delight ourselves in him. The second exhortation after sing a new song is We'll call it rejoice in your maker and king. Rejoice in your maker and king. Look at verse two, the verse I mentioned at the beginning this evening. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Be glad and rejoice. That's what we're called to do here. Why? Because God is our maker and our king. He is our maker, our creator. He's the one who made us in his image to be in fellowship with him. And he is our king, our sovereign, our Lord. And he's a good king. 
He's a wise king. He's a powerful king and also a loving king. And knowing that, of course, gives us cause to be glad and to rejoice. If we know that he made us and we are his, if we know that he reigns over us, ruling and defending us, restraining and conquering all his and our enemies, then we have reason to rejoice and be glad in him, don't we? Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. You know, we should get our happiness ultimately from the Lord. We should root our joy most deeply in God. That is what the prophet Habakkuk did at the end of the book of Habakkuk. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. As Christians, we are to rejoice always. And that doesn't mean we're supposed to always feel happy. The Bible says that we will feel all kinds of emotions, like sadness when we weep with those who weep. But it means that whatever we are feeling or whatever situation we are in, we should turn to God and find joy and peace in him and knowing and trusting in him. We should be like a tree whose roots are down deep in the soil so that whether it's sunny out or stormy out, we can draw strength from the nutrients in the soil deep down below the surface. So have the roots of your joy, not in your circumstances, but in God. Sink the roots of your joy down deep in the soil of his word so that whatever's happening on the surface, whatever's happening in the circumstances of your life, you can draw strength from that rich soil underground. You can find joy and peace in God in knowing and trusting him. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. And of course, the best reason we have to rejoice is because of the king of kings, Jesus Christ himself, for who he is and for what he has done for us on the cross. Zechariah 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Prophecy which was fulfilled in Jesus and by Jesus. He is our king who has come to us, as we sang about earlier. Righteous and having salvation. That's why we can sing joy to the world. Because the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Because of Jesus, though we have many reasons to be sad in this fallen world, we are never without a reason to rejoice. Christ is our king. Therefore, we can be glad and rejoice in him. We can delight ourselves in him. 
The third exhortation we find in this first section, after sing a new song and rejoice in your maker and king, is praise him with dancing and music. Praise him with dancing and music. Look at verse three. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. Dancing, it seems, was an element of worship in the Old Testament, no longer in the New. But the joy that was expressed by dancing in the Old Testament in several passages is, of course, a joy we should have, and even more so as the people of God today, and should express in proper ways in public worship, mainly through singing, joyful singing, singing joyfully, accompanied by melodious music. Why? Well, verse four says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. As we read recently in Psalm 147, verse 11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. I read Zephaniah 3, 16 and 17 when I preached Psalm 147, I'll read it again. Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. If God rejoices over us with gladness, shouldn't we rejoice in him with gladness? If he exalts over us with loud singing, shouldn't we exult in him with loud singing? He has adorned the humble with salvation. He has saved us by his grace. Therefore, we should praise him and delight in him together. We don't look in the mirror and sing to ourselves because we didn't save ourselves. We sing to God because God has saved us. He has adorned the humble with salvation. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. The fourth exhortation we find in this first section is to sing for joy on your beds. Sing for joy on your beds. Look at verse five. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the godly, the assembly of the godly by grace, let them exult in glory, or in other words, rejoice in the glory of God. And let them sing for joy on their beds. That's interesting. Kids, what do we normally do on our beds? We sleep, right? We sleep on our beds. But here it says that we should sing on our beds. Isn't that interesting? The salvation we have in Jesus by faith 
is so wonderful that it makes us want to sing for joy even on our beds at night. Now, of course, if you have a sibling above you or below you on a bunk bed, you want to be courteous and not keep them awake or wake them up with your singing. But it's a wonderful thing to do in your bed at night, to sing for joy, perhaps quietly, or even just to think about the words of a hymn or a psalm, like the words of how firm a foundation, or Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. And delight in God, even as you're falling asleep in your bed. Perhaps you could try that tonight, kids, since you might have a hard time falling asleep, since it's Christmas morning, tomorrow morning but this is a good way for you to delight in God in the last moments of your day. Psalm 63, verses five through seven. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, like Mr. Kaufman was telling us about earlier. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. When you're lying in bed at night and the anxious thoughts start coming, start pouring in, remember you have more reasons to be joyful than anxious. You can even sing for joy on your bed. So the first section is about delighting in God and we've looked at the four main exhortations we find in this first section. Sing a new song. Rejoice in your maker and king. Praise him with dancing and music and sing for joy on your bed. All those are ways we can delight in God as the people of God. There are many delightful things in this world but none of them are as delightful as God. There are many streams but only one ocean. Many beams but only one sun. So let's delight ourselves in him in all these ways and others because he is the source. He is the only satisfier of our souls. Now there's an interesting twist in the psalm as we've already observed and it's in verse six. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. Let the high praises of God be in their throats. That sounds like what we've been talking about, delighting ourselves in God. But then, let there be two-edged swords in their hands. What's, what's that about? Let's consider that now under our second main point. Fight God's enemies. We're called to delight in God and we're called to fight God's enemies. But how do we understand this? The ushers, they hand you a bulletin when you come in, not a sword. How are we to understand this passage? Let me read verse six down through verse nine. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Well, let the high praises of God be in their throats. Let's think about that for just a second. Uh, we, are, we are, of course, no longer 
who we once were as the people of God, that is important for us to remember. It gives glory to God's grace to recall that. We used to be in the condition described in Romans 3, verses 13 and 14. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. But now, the high praises of God are in our throats. God has changed us from our throats being an open grave to our throats being an instrument of high praise. Only he can do that. And of course, this should be what we strive for in our daily lives, that the high praise of God would be in our throats, not the high praises of self. But what about this two-edged sword in our hand? It says, let there be two-edged swords in our hands to do three things. Number one, to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples. Number two, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. And number three, to execute on them the judgment written. Well, I think we are to understand this in this way. This happened initially whenever the Israelites executed judgment on their enemies like the Canaanites. It will happen finally whenever Christ returns and ushers in the final judgment and it is happening presently and spiritually in our lives as believers. And we'll look at each of those in turn. Initially, finally, and presently. First, initially, the Israelites literally took up two-edged swords in their hands and executed vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples around them. They bound their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. They executed on them the judgment written, that is the judgment written by God. They were agents of the judgment of God on the unbelieving nations. They administered the sentence of God on the unbelieving nations. And of course that's not what we do as God's people today. Matthew Henry wrote this, since now no such special commissions can be produced, this will by no means justify the violence either of subjects against their princes or of princes against their subjects or both against their neighbors under pretense of religion. For Christ never intended that his gospel should be propagated by fire and sword or his righteousness wrought by the wrath of man. So initially, the Israelites did this when in obedience to God, they executed God's judgment on the unbelieving nations around them. Secondly though, this will happen finally whenever Christ returns and ushers in the final judgment because it says in a few places in scripture that we as believers will actually participate in the final judgment. We don't know exactly what that will look like. It does feel a little uncomfortable to us, I think, instinctively, though it is God's truth. Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Meaning among them. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? 
Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? In some way that is proper for redeemed sinners saved by grace, we will participate with Christ in the final judgment on unrepentant sinners. And it says in the middle of verse nine of our psalm that this is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. So it will not be for our praise, it will be for the Lord's praise. It will not be personally vindictive, it will not be arrogant. It will be honor for all his godly ones and it will be to the praise of the glory of God. But thirdly, not only did this happen initially with Israel fighting their enemies, and not only will it happen finally when Christ returns to defeat his enemies, but this is happening presently and spiritually in our lives as believers today. And it's in this third sense, most importantly I think, that we fight God's enemies today in the here and now. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Ephesians 6.10 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's who we wrestle against now. 2 Corinthians 10, three through five, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So the two-edged sword in our hands is the sword of the spirit, the word of God, Ephesians 6, 17. The word of God that is actually sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4, 12. We conquer not by the blood of warriors, but by the blood of the lamb, Revelation 12, 11. And they have conquered him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Charles Spurgeon said, we praise God and contend with our corruptions. We sing joyfully and war earnestly with evil of every kind. Our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty. When godly men give battle to the powers of evil, each conflict is high praise unto the God of goodness. Even the tumult of our holy war is a part of the music of our lives. That's well put. When godly men give battle to the powers of evil, each conflict is high praise unto the God of goodness. This is what we're called to do as believers, to delight in God and to fight God's enemies. This is how we praise God with our lives. I wanna leave you with two thoughts by way of application this evening in light of all this. First, Make sure that you are on the side of the Lord. Make sure that you are on the side of the Lord. Make sure you 
get on the Lord's side if you're not. By repenting of your sins and putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't stay on the opposite side of the battlefield, the side of God's enemies. Come over to God's side by turning from your sin and trusting in God's son, Jesus Christ. So make sure you get on the Lord's side if you're not. And then make sure you live like you're on the Lord's side if you are. People should be able to tell whose side you're on by the way you live. If you're on the Lord's side, you're gonna need to fight the Lord's enemies. Don't delight in his enemies and fight him. Delight in him and fight his enemies. Don't be a double agent. Don't be a spy. Don't be a traitor. You can't praise God and be friends with the world at the same time. James 4, 4 says so. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If you praise God in the assembly of the godly on Sunday, if you're on the Lord's side, don't be on the side of the world the other six days of the week. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. He has turned you from darkness to light. He has brought you over from the side of his enemies to the side of his friends. So live like one of his friends. Delight in him and fight his enemies. Second and finally, as you think about this call to delight in God and fight God's enemies, remember of course, and there's only one who can do that perfectly and completely. There's only one who has done that perfectly and completely for us. That is Jesus Christ himself, the son of God incarnate. He delighted in his father fully throughout his earthly life. He fought God's enemies tooth and nail. He was even nailed to the cross for his enemies. And he will one day conquer all those who refuse to repent and trust in him. And by his grace and through the continual supply of his strength, we can now follow in his footsteps. He blazed the trail in terms of everything that this psalm calls us to, and we follow the trail as we now follow him. So as we hear this psalm and its call to praise God in these ways, let's hear it with our Savior in mind. Let's hear it praising our Savior And then let's go forth in his strength, delighting in God and fighting God's enemies. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for blazing the trail for us in terms of what this psalm calls us to and we pray that you would give us the grace and the strength we need to follow you, to follow in your footsteps to praise God by delighting in him and to praise him also by fighting his enemies. Strengthen us for that. 
We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's take just a minute now to think and pray about what we've heard and then we'll respond together by singing.